0: This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. If you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelations. Oftentimes when we think of the book of Revelation, we may think about what it has to do with future events. And Revelation certainly does have a lot to do uh, with upcoming events. There are prophecies that are even unfolding before our eyes uh, today. Uh, There are prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled and uh, many that have been fulfilled so perfectly as God foretold. But the book of Revelation is not primarily a book that focuses on what's going to happen in the future. That is not the main uh, intention of the book as, as a whole. Uh, the main intention is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, is that as we spoke about before, that Jesus is the complete representation of the Godhead, of, the, of, of rather, of God and As he represents God to us, we're able to understand better because he came to this earth as someone we could see, someone we could hear, and he spoke to us in ways that we understood. And that's why he says in his word that he often spoke to people in parables because they wouldn't really be able to grasp everything without an analogy from what we deal with here on earth. So in the book of Revelation, we see that the Apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos. He was placed there because of his love for Jesus. And it happened, and it begins in chapter 1, verse 9, and it says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you've seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. As God looks down upon his people all across the globe, he sees every Sunday morning, every time they gather together, he sees not only the gathering of of his people, but he sees their hearts. And he assesses all that goes on. It was Jesus who said that the Father is looking for those who will worship him, in spirit and in truth. God is looking today for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. As Jesus revealed to John, step-by-step things that he was to communicate, he shares information that was to be written down And then that information was to be sent to seven churches. Each of these seven churches were assessed by God who sees all things, who knows the motives of the heart. And what better way to be assessed than by the one who created us, the one who knows us, but not only that, the one who loves us and gave himself for us. I am so thankful that I can rest in God's care, knowing that God is not looking to do me in. If he were looking to do me in, he would have been able to do that a long time ago. But I know that my God is focused on redemption. I know that my God wants none to perish. So when he looks at me, he looks at me with a heart of care, a heart of restoration. That's the premise from which he works. The enemy, on the other hand, is looking for every opportunity to gain an advantage to bring us to destruction. But God does not want us destroyed. He wants no one to be destroyed, but rather that every single person on this planet would be saved. And that's why he came. And he references that in his communication to the apostle John. He says, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. You see, when you stand before Jesus, you won't be able to hide anything. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities in this world when you're before people, whether it's an interview, whether it's in a relationship, there are all kinds of opportunities for us to be able to withhold information, to make ourselves look a little bit different than we really are, because we might be afraid that if we share something, that that person may think the worst of us, and so we hold off. But God's eyes see all things, and when we stand before him on that day, he will see every single thing that is in our heart, whether we want to share it or not. But friends, it's not only for that day. As you sit here this morning, God's eyes see your heart. There's nothing that you can hide from God. Now, when you hear that, that there's nothing that you can hide from God, it should bring you comfort because you can know that even though God knows everything that you've done wrong, he still loves you. That should bring encouragement to you. But it becomes a danger to those who feel that they want to do their own thing and walk in disobedience and still say, I am a child of the king of kings. That's a dangerous thing. Because for those people also, God sees everything. And he will only put up with rebellion for so long. God loves the people who rebel, but he will only put up with rebellion for so long. We see that laid out all throughout God's word. In fact, in the Old Testament, God often referred to it as a cup. And the nations who lived in wickedness, there were times where God spoke to uh, the leader of Israel and said, you are not to do anything with that nation, because though they are an evil nation, their cup is not yet full. What God was saying is, these people are rebelling against me. They're disobeying me. They could care less about me. But it's not time yet. Now, this this is very important for us to, to see because God puts up with foolishness for a certain period of time, but not forever. And in these letters that were written to the churches, God lays out exactly what he sees through the spiritual x-ray machine of his vision, and he says, you may see this, or you may be trying to present yourself as this, but I want you to know this is exactly how it is. And it's so much better to know how things really are than to deceive yourself and end up paying the ultimate price. Now, when you go to a doctor's office and you're not doing the right things with your health, I would hope that you would want the doctor to actually tell you what's going on instead of for the doctor to say to himself, I wonder what this patient would like to hear today. And for that doctor then to just kind of change things around to make you feel good and you walk out of that office going, man, I never knew I was in such good health. (laughs) When in reality, there is something that is destroying your body. That'd be a shame, wouldn't it? And so, in a similar way, when you come before the great physician, you have to come with a heart that's willing to hear the stuff you need to hear. And if the Holy Spirit speaks something that you don't want to hear, don't shrug away from it. Respond by saying, Lord, what would you have me to do about that? Because then you can be on the road to spiritual health. God can work with that. So, we're going to look at the first letter this morning, and that is in chapter 2. Jesus himself gives this information to the Apostle John. It is said from writings that the Apostle John. Who loved Christ because of the people's hatred for him and interest in in him being destroyed ended up putting him in a container of boiling oil. And miraculously, he did not die, nor was he affected by it, by the supernatural power of God. And because they didn't know what else to do with him, they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. And so as we read this letter here, we read words penned by this apostle who had paid a great price for following Jesus, which is why he says in his words here uh, that he was one who had suffered. And when we go through suffering, the things that we hear from the Lord have a way of sticking when we are with undivided attention focused on the Lord. So many things around us can grab our attention John did not have a lot of things to grab his attention because he was exiled on an island. So he had plenty of time. He had plenty of focus. And on this Lord's Day, that was written about in the book of Revelation, God had a word, not just for one church, but for seven churches. And he begins with the church in Ephesus. Verse 1 says, This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. And I want you to pay close attention now to the things that Jesus says about the church in Ephesus. And I truly believe that because we are human beings, we are people, that though there are general characteristics that stand out about the church as a whole, but there are components from each of the letters to these churches that speak to each one of us as believers, and he starts by saying, I know all the things that you do. God knows every single thing you do. He sees when you wake up. He sees when you go to bed. He sees when you go to work. He sees when you get home. You read Psalm 139, and it lays out very specifically how God sees all the details of our lives. He even knows every particular detail about you physically, even to the point of knowing how many hairs are on your head. And that can be ever-changing, can it? The reality is that God knows you well. Do not deceive yourself to somehow think that God doesn't know about what's going on in your life because he does. He says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Many of you in this room, you apply great effort. In your service for the King of Kings, many of you have served the Lord for years. You have been faithful. God has seen everything that you have done. And when you see the Lord, there is not one thing that will go unrewarded. For God is not a debtor to anyone. And he will follow through on his promise. For he said, Jesus said these words, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Your work, my brother and my sister, for the Lord, is never, never, never in vain. Sometimes you may feel like it's not going anywhere like you're working hard and you're not seeing the fruit. But you need to walk by faith in knowing that even though there may be a time between the sowing and the reaping, that season between the sowing and the reaping, things are happening. God's promise will be fulfilled. Your work for the Lord is not in vain. So don't give up. Jesus says to this church, you're doing a good job, this church in Ephesus. You're doing a good work. I know it. I see all of it. He also says you are patiently enduring. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't faint. To this church in Ephesus, Jesus says, I see your work, your hard work, and your patient endurance. He next says, I know that you don't tolerate evil people. God knew that there were those in the church who would not put up with those who would do evil. And Jesus said, You're doing a good job in that area. He goes on to add, he says, You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. There are many who will easily follow a persuasive person without checking with the Word of God to see whether it's really true. It amazed me, I did a little bit of study some years ago on various people who throughout uh, the years have proclaimed that they themselves are the Messiah. And there are actually various ones around the world today that are doing that. And it was amazing to me as I watched these documentaries to see the hundreds and thousands of people that literally flocked together proclaiming that this person is their Messiah. Completely ignorant of the word of the living God. And yet they were singing songs of praise to him. They were giving their offerings to him. They were doing pretty much whatever. Because his word was looked at as indeed the word of God. God says to the church in Ephesus, I'm proud of you because you're not, you're not adopting that foolishness. You are testing. You are seeing. Is this person actually preaching the word of God or not? God says to the church in Ephesus, good job. Then in verse 3, He goes on to say, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Now, that takes courage, doesn't it? To suffer for the Lord and not give up. There was a story told, and I forget which country that it occurred in, but this church was in a country where it was illegal to gather together and to worship the Lord. And there was a church gathering. And in the church gathering in the middle of the service, two soldiers walked in the door armed with weapons. And they demanded that each person in the church make a choice. And they said, we will destroy, we will kill all of those who are not willing to profess, uh, to deny, rather, their faith in Jesus Christ. But those who profess, uh, you will uh, risk your life. In fact, you will give your life, because they said that they would kill them. So they said in the church, I want all of those who are willing to uh, continue believing in Christ, I want you to stand on this side. And everyone who is willing to deny Christ at this moment, you are free to go. And one by one, people stood up and walked out of the church. And they left. At the very end, there was a very small group that had gathered together. And they were willing to suffer for the cause of Christ after which the soldiers took off their uniform and they said, welcome, brothers. We're glad to be able to know who our real brothers are in Christ. You see, the truth is, is that suffering and persecution often weeds people out. We are so blessed here in America, friends. And as your pastor, I just want to challenge you Don't become complacent. This is a great temptation in our country, but don't become complacent. Stay hot for God in your passion for him in the midst of all kinds of opportunities that our country has to offer. Keep God front and center and allow him to be the one who gets your undivided attention and worship. God saw that the church in Ephesus had patiently endured suffering without quitting. That's a very good characteristic. So, so far, everything has been good. He says, I know all the work you do. You're working hard. You're enduring patiently. You don't tolerate evil people. You've examined these, quote, spiritual leaders who say that they are apostles, but they're not. You've actually discovered that they are telling a lie. In, in addition, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Those are good things. Boy, if you find a church with those people in it, there's, that's good qualities there. But Jesus wasn't done yet. He says, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Because at times, I think we gauge ourselves by a limited perspective in our walk with God. And we think, wow, I I accepted Christ. I got baptized in water. And I generally do good in my life. I give God maybe even my tithe. And so I feel pretty confident that all is well. I'm not sure whether we would even be able to qualify for some of these that there were false apostles that were coming in and, and they had to be rejected. I'm not sure if we have patiently endured as much suffering as the church at Ephesus did without quitting. I'm not, I don't know the exact level, but I do know this is that they. We're meeting a certain mark where Jesus Christ himself said, you're doing a good job. But in spite of that, there were issues that were not being dealt with. And Jesus says, I have this complaint against you. And my complaint is that you don't love me and you don't love each other as you did at first. But wait. They are patiently enduring suffering for him without quitting. But wait, they proved that this spiritual leader was not a spiritual leader at all. But wait, Jesus himself said that they were working hard and they were patiently enduring. In fact, he said, I know all the things that you do. But this same Jesus said, I have this complaint. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. You see, what can happen is we can do certain things and we can still neglect important areas of our walk with God. We can begin to do whatever we do in the church, perhaps out of feeling guilty. Well, I know I should do that, so I guess I'm going to do it. And we can do things without a passion for God. He compares it to a first love. And for something that's an analogy for all of us to know, for those of you who have been in a relationship, those of you who are married and you know when you first met the person that you married. Remember the days of excitement and that you couldn't wait even minutes to be able to see the person that you love so much. And you would go out of your way to do many little things that may seem unimportant, but were so important to you because you love this person and you wanted them to know that you love them. All of those little things were a part of your first love. Jesus says, now you're doing good stuff here, but the passion is missing. That's what he's saying to the church in Ephesus. You don't love me, and you don't love each other the same way you used to. And what happens is, when that happens in a church, you still have activity going on, but you don't have the love that joins it all together. And Jesus looked at it, and he said, something's wrong here. And what we're going to see in just a moment is this wasn't a side item. This was not like, oh, this little thing on the side, by the way, I hope you look at that, take care of it. But if not, you know, that's okay. Let's just keep doing the good works you're doing. He didn't say that. Let's look on to see how Jesus handled this issue and how important it was to the church. He says in in, in the next part of verse 5, turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. That's pretty serious. God says, this is not some little thing that doesn't matter. There has to be a change in motivation for why you're doing what you're doing. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Anybody who works in any ministry in this church needs to do what they do because they do it for God. If you're not doing it because you have a passion for God, you can still persevere and miss the most important thing. And your ministry will end up being dry, it will end up being boring, and it will end up without life, and without love. And who wants to be in a ministry like that? All the good stuff listed there, whole list of this is what we do, this is why we do it, and this is how often we do it. That's great. But if there's no passion in our heart for God, even with all the right agenda listed, the love of God can be absent. And Jesus said, that's so critical. That if you don't get this taken care of, I'm going to take your candlestick and remove it. That's serious. May God never have to remove the candlestick in Springfield at Christian Life Center. You see, Jesus was speaking words that he meant, and I take him at his word. I hope you do too. Now he was specifically speaking to Ephesus, but like I said earlier, I believe that there are areas in each of these letters that are applying that apply to this church. So as it says, toward the end of this letter, let him who has ears to hear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Because God won't put up with foolishness forever. In fact, this church at Ephesus doing good stuff. He didn't say, "If you keep going as you're going." We're just going to, it's going to be okay, get a little bit less reward, but you just keep on sailing through. No, he said, I want you to know if you keep doing what you're doing and you don't take care of the first love factor, I'm going to have to take your candlestick out. Jesus was very serious in dealing with this issue, even after he gave These these wonderful accolades of the good things that they had done. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. You see, the doing the works you did at first, as it says there in verse 5, is a revival of the passion in your heart. And what you do with your hands, with your lips, with your mind, all of that can be done in a religious way without passion. But you can do the same things in a whole new dynamic when the love of God is driving what you do. And oftentimes you can tell the difference, you can see it in someone's eyes, you can see it by the way they talk. Because out of that person's innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And when you're around that person, there's just, you can't put your finger on it. It's not just that they did something. It's not just that they had some specific order in what they did. It's hard to actually put your finger on it because it's indescribable. It's the love of God at work. And that's what God wants to be the core of what motivates everything that happens at Christian Life Center. He says, but I have this in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Now, just a note, not much is known about the Nicolaitans or what their evil deeds uh, were in particular. However, uh, Irenaeus, who was an early church father, uh, who was... lived in the area that is modern-day France, he wrote this, that the Nicolaitans promoted fornication and a compromising position on eating food sacrificed to idols, which led many into an unrestrained carnal lifestyle. So that's what the Nicolaitans did, according to Irenaeus. And what's briefly mentioned here in Revelation is that this church in Ephesus hated those deeds. Rightly so, because God says it right there. He said, I hate it too. See, God's looking for purity. This church was saying, we want purity too. Good. So you can pursue purity with love or without love. Which one are we going to do? Everything we do must be done on the foundation of the love of God. And then in verse 7, it says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Here's the point I want to make to you today. God wants to revive your spirit. So, that your passion for Him means that you may act a little weird sometimes in His presence. What does that mean? Why should I act weird in God's presence? Remember when you were talking to the one that you loved and you're just getting to know them? Things started churning in your stomach, your voice changed, and you didn't even mean for it to you acted a little weird in their presence. Why? Because they really mattered to you. I really doubt that when you were about to uh, ask him or her and say, you know, I'd really be interested in starting a relationship, I really doubt that you came all super dignified. Excuse me. I have a a question I would like to ask you today. You can answer yes or no, but would you be willing to be my boyfriend, my girlfriend? No. There was a passion that was involved. And when you come to God and you act like it's this rote thing, God says, What are you doing? Now, can you imagine if the person came to you like that, what your response would be? Oh, thank you. (laughs) You'd probably be taken back, like, let me think about this. I'm not so sure. God wants you to have a passion for him. And sometimes we try to put up this front God is a holy God, but He's also a God of love. And so when we try to pretend that holiness is simply being uh, like there's no transformation in His presence, that's not the kind of God that I serve. Because when God shows up, life shows up. I believe God wants to purify this church. But the way that he's going to do it is he's going to revive love in our hearts for him. And by all means, we need to honor him in the way that we act and in our decisions. But friend, if on your regular basis you come to God with a list of things you've done to honor him and you're like always holding that before him, like, God, I did this, I did this. And if you don't sense peace in your heart after all these things you're doing, consider this, it could be your level of love that's low. You know, in relationships, things can come to the point, and I've, I've heard it sometimes. husband and wife, things aren't communicating well, challenges happen. And all of a sudden the list can come out: "I do this, I do that. And I do that. And what do you do? Da, 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 da. The focus is on, this is what I do, this is what you don't do. And in our human nature, we can get that like that with God. God, I've done this for you. I've done that for you. But I asked asked you this little thing in prayer. You didn't do that for me. And so I'm upset with you. And there are, literally, there are people who leave the house of God because God doesn't do for them what they think he should do for them. And I've spoken with some, and they give me a whole list of things that they did right. I'm thinking, something's missing here. This seems like a one-sided story. And the truth is, is that when we love God, we're willing to lay it all down. The truth is, is that my list, no matter how long it gets of things I've done for God, pales in comparison to what he did for me. You know what I mean? It's like, God, I did this for you, this for you. I I didn't give myself and sacrifice my life, but he did. Who am I? Who am I? to try to compare with him. Your love factor, my love factor for God needs to grow. So, John 14, 21. It's a verse you need to memorize. It's an important verse because it is a demonstration of your love for God. Now, it's not just saying I love you. It says, he that has my commandments and keeps them. He is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. God wants to show up. He wants to enjoy fellowship with you. But it's not going to happen if you approach him with this stoic attitude. You've got to kind of lay it all out. Allow yourself to get a little giddy, in the presence of the Lord and let Him know that you really mean it, that you love Him. It also involves you getting right with God. The Bible says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So I just want to say a few points that I want you to consider. You see, as pastor, my job is to speak as the Holy Spirit, to take words that apply and apply them where they do and not apply them where they don't, all right? If you're in this church body and you're living in sin, you are affecting this body just flat out. If you are doing things behind closed doors that God would look at and say, that's not right, you as a part of this body are affecting the kind of letter that we would receive at Christian Life Center from Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Because that was a corporate letter. It wasn't to one person. It was to the whole church. So as pastor, in fact, when it says that this letter is to the angel of the church, that word is also translated messenger. So it could very well be the leader or the pastor at the church. In fact, often God dealt with the nation because the leader of the nation wasn't willing to do something. So there's some responsibilities that fall on my shoulders. I can't fix everything, but I've got to say what I need to say. If you're living in disobedience, you need to turn to the Lord and ask Him to help you to quit. If you're in this church body and you're not honoring God in the things that you know are right... How are you going to grow in the things that you don't yet know are displeasing to the Lord? He that has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. So to everyone present in this room, if God were to pen a letter about Christian Life Center today, what would he say and what role would you have to play in that letter? I beg of you, get right with God. Don't play with sin and think that you can just barely make it into heaven. Because for this church, God said, you keep going the way you're going. Your candlestick's coming out. I don't want that for this church. So I pray that God will help all of us to love each other and to love him with all of our heart. I'm going to tell you, friends, you cannot truly say you love God when you deliberately walk in disobedience to his word. You can't do it you're deceiving yourself. Now, if there's some area that you're working on and the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, God doesn't want you to live in condemnation, but he says condemnation is not for those who walk according to the Spirit, but those who walk according to the Spirit. They reject those things of the flesh, the things that dishonor God. So if we're going to be a church that God is able to say, A plus, doing a good job, it's going to be because we love him with all of our heart and we love each other. So I want to ask if you would close yourself in with the Lord. The Holy Spirit calls to every single one present today. Today is the day to be right with God. There's two focuses I'm going to ask. The first one is, is if you're in this room today, you, you haven't yet surrendered your life to Christ Maybe you're here today and the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart and you know you need to get right with God by surrendering your life to Him. Maybe you haven't done that or maybe for many years you've walked away as a prodigal son. God says to you, I will welcome you back if you sincerely come back to me. If you're in the room this morning, today is the day of salvation for you. Your name can be written in the book of life. Your life can be restored. Your heart can be completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we are gathered here in this place in the presence of a holy and awesome God, if you would like to take this opportunity to say, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sin and I welcome you to make me a brand new person. If that's you this morning, right where you're sitting, would you simply raise your hand God sees your hand, my friend. Is there anyone else in this room this morning? It's why Jesus died. One last call. Is there anyone else? I'm going to ask all of us to join with this this moment of prayer. And my brother, as you open your heart to the Lord, God's going to do an incredible work this morning. Let us pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of salvation. Please forgive me of my sin and wash my heart clean. Please write my name. In your book of life, I choose from this day forward to live my life in obedience to you. Thank you for changing my heart. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you, my friend. God has done a good work, and he will continue to do a good work in your life. Let's give the Lord praise for the power of the Holy Spirit in transforming a heart. The Scripture tells us when we walk in righteousness, then we can truly have fellowship one with another. If there is a barrier in your life that needs to get out, and you are walking with God, oh, you've been doing good stuff for God. You've been reading the Bible. In fact, you have been doing many of the things that God commended this church for But if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart and said, you know what? Your love factor has got to rise. It's got to rise. There's always a step of faith that we have to take to allow God to work. So as pastor, I always try to provide a challenge opportunity because there needs to be a decision. There needs to be a decision. And if you in this place Would like to make a decision this morning to say, God, fill me up with your love so that I won't simply do religious activity at Christian Life Center or wherever you send me. I'm going to invite you right where you are to simply stand to your feet as a simple sign of saying, Lord, fill me up with your love so that I will be the man or woman that would bring joy to your heart and that you could commend me in that area. This is between you and and the Lord this morning, but it also affects this entire church body. There's no music right now. Our musicians have gone over to the Spanish church to have their service early so they can join us for the picnic. But the presence of the Lord is in this place. This is not, I don't want you to feel pressure to do anything. You just do this between you and the Lord because ultimately it doesn't matter to me alone. You're going to stand before the living God one day. And I am too. We all are. And what we do matters to him. I'm going to give one last call if there's anybody who has not responded but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If it's the Holy Spirit that's been prompting you, then don't miss this opportunity. I'd like to now pray with every single one who has chosen to stand and I wanna ask you in your own heart to open yourself to the Lord and rather than just simply say, God, I'm sorry, please fill my heart up with your love, I want you to also ask him, God, what do you want me to do? Because he said in that letter, he said, return to your first works and do them. Write that little love note. Pick up the phone and call for no apparent reason. Revive your love relationship with your Heavenly Father. So, I want to pray for you this morning, but I want to ask you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit so that it won't just end here, but that throughout this entire week, you'll be able to rekindle and revive that love relationship so that you can truly bring joy to the one who gave his life for you. Lord Jesus. On behalf of this body, including myself, I ask you for forgiveness for every single time that we have taken you for granted. Please forgive us for the times where we have done hard work, diligent work, even maybe suffered for you. Perhaps even that we have proven that someone who says there's something, then they're not. And uh, we may have a list of spiritual accomplishments that we have achieved. But God, would you forgive us if we have forgotten to truly love you? If our motivation for working in the nursery... If our motivation for working in the girls' ministry, if our motivation for working in the children's church, if our motivation for working in the men's ministries or the women's ministries, if our motivation for working on caring for the grounds, if our motivation for caring for your people in any leadership uh, ability or activity, if our motivation— for uh, being on the worship team, if our motivation for any avenue of service in this church body is not motivated by a passion for serving you, God forgive us and help us to get it right so that we will be prepared so that petty stuff will not drive us from doing your will. That our passion for you will be so strong That even if the person beside us is not walking the way they should, that it will not throw us off the path. That we will hear your words that you spoke to Peter. Don't worry about your brother. You follow me. So, Lord, we choose to follow you. We repent of any spiritual laziness, and we ask for a fresh revival of your spirit for us individually, and for our church body. As your word proclaims, and as the psalmist said, Lord, would you revive us so that we can call on your name once more? And in another place, won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Or another place, God, I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. Lord, how great is your mercy. Let me be revived by following your regulations. And lastly, the high and lofty one, who lives in eternity, the Holy One says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. We humble ourselves before you this morning We repent of our foolishness, and we choose to honor you above everything in our lives. Holy Spirit, please make it clear to us how we can demonstrate that to you today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he fill you with his peace and give you abundant joy.